Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whenever you may be listening. Welcome to episode 41 of the Hang Time with Helgi podcast. I'm your host, Luke Helgerson. You know how we do these things. Five topics, unpopular opinion. Let's get right into it. Topic number one was an interesting NFL week 12. Now, it's not over. Still got the Monday night football game tonight as I'm coming to you on this November 30th of 2020, entering the final month of this insane year. But still got one more day to get through it. So we got the Monday night football game. We have the Seahawks against the Eagles and then the Tuesday game. That's right, they're playing on Tuesday. We get another Tuesday matchup on December 1st. Steelers play the Ravens, so those were part of my top five games of the week, the two of those games, so stay tuned. They should be a good one. Let's break down the games real quick that happened this weekend. First game, got to get to Chiefs against the Bucks. Chiefs managed to pull, pull it out. Buccaneers made it interesting at the end, scored 14 points in the fourth quarter, but was not enough. Chiefs win 27-24. to 24. Patrick Mahomes looked like the best quarterback in the NFL. I mean, 37 for 49 completions, 462 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, the guy absolutely feasted. And not only did he feast, <laughs> did you see the stat line for the man Tyreek Hill? I need to put some respect on Tyreek Hill's name. I mean, he easily top three receiver in the league. I would say it's between him, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, as the best receivers in the league. Yeah, you could put maybe a couple other guys up there, such as Adams for the Packers, but God, the Tyreek Hill stat line, he had 13 catches, 269 yards, three touchdowns. In the first quarter, he had 200 yards receiving on seven catches and two touchdowns. They couldn't stop him. No answer for him on the outside. He is... Too fast, too furious, unbelievable. Those are video game numbers. May I repeat it again? Wide receiver, 13 catches, 269 yards, three touchdowns. A long as 75 was targeted 15 times. My goodness. And just looking at this Chiefs team, both of these teams are stacked. I had Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson, Le'Veon Bell. They got Clyde. Edwards Hilaire, it's just sick what this offense can do. And Chiefs moved to 10 and 1, and they look great. They look great. The Bucks made it interesting at the end, though. They did. Tom Brady, 345 yards passing, three touchdowns, two more interceptions, though. He was 27 of 41. Quarterback rating of 60.3. Mahomes, though, had a quarterback rating of 91.9. Just shows Mahomes. Is the new sheriff in town in the Bucks? They dropped to seven and five. They've lost two in a row. Turnovers have been an issue for this team. Just Brady doesn't look comfortable in Bruce Arians' offense. He really doesn't. He just doesn't look like he 
is comfortable running this offense. And why would he? No training camp. He's not comfortable with any of the, these receivers, with not playing with Gronk last year, Gronk playing this year. Gronk had a good game, though. Six catches, 106 yards. Godwin was pretty good, too. Eight catches, 97 yards. Mike Evans was quiet, though. Three catches, 50 yards. But he had two touchdowns. Two more, I mean. The guy's eaten on the year. He has double-digit touchdowns on the season. 11, to be exact. He's Brady's favorite red zone target to this point, but the Bucks defense struggled early, and just they weren't able to come back. And I don't want to say the Bucks are underachieving. I know they're. I'm said they're my pick to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's looking a little bleak right now. But I think this team is right at where they should be. At seven and five, I don't think they've underachieved or overachieved. Frankly, I think Arians has put Brady in a tough spot and put a lot on his shoulders and put a lot of pressure on him to get it done. When it's the first time he's been away from Bill Belichick in his entire career, I think it's a lot for Brady to handle right now. They, you know, they have an off week this week, so they got the bye, and then they come back. Final four games of the year, they played the Vikings, Falcons twice, and the Lions. So. They should win out. They should finish the season possibly 11-5 and five, or even if not, go 10-6. and six. And that's about projected of right where they were at. That's about where they should be. So I think this team is where they at. They only have really one bad loss on their schedule, and that's to the Bears. Other than that, they've lost to the Saints. They've lost to the Rams. They've lost to the Chiefs. They don't have bad losses other than that Bears one that came on a short week in their one of the sloppiest games they played all year. So I still have great faith in the Bucks that they can turn it around, figure it out, and turn it on at the right time come playoffs. But the Chiefs showed they are the juggernaut of the NFL. I forget the Steelers being undefeated. This Chiefs team, the super defending Super Bowl champions, are only looking better and better as the weeks go on. Another one of my big games that I predicted was the Sunday night football game yesterday. Green Bay Packers against the Chicago Bears. Two games that I got right. Packers rolled the Bears. <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky was out there for the Bears and looked very much so Mitchell Trubisky. So let's talk about the Packers instead, the, how they look so dominant. Aaron Rodgers, still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Packers rolled 41-25. to Packers improved to 8-3. Rodgers was 21 for 29, 211 yards, four touchdowns. He didn't have to do much. He didn't have to do much. It was pretty easy to move the ball against this Bears defense. They're one of the better defenses in the league. I just feel that they know. The guys on this defense know that the quarterbacks that they have cannot get the job done. I don't want to say they just quit, but... It did. It looked like they had no belief that they could win this game. Absolutely no belief. And going into the second quarter, it was six to three, and then the Packers scored a quick touchdown there in the first minute. Just Aaron Jones, seventeen rushes for ninety yards. Jamal Williams, he had seventeen carries as well for seventy-three yards. Had a touchdown. Just Spares team is just. It's an embarrassment at this point. It five-game losing streak. And I, I don't know when it's going to end. I don't know when the embarrassment is going to stop. Uh, they got the Lions this week, 
who just let go of their coach, Matt Patricia. After that, they got the Texans, Vikings, Jaguars, finish the season with the Packers. It is, you know, those are very winnable games, but for some reason, I, I definitely see them losing to the Lions. They barely beat them the first week. Shouldn't have won. Again, if Swift hadn't dropped that touchdown pass at the end of the game, Texans, they're getting better. Frankly, if they had a winning record, Deshaun Watson would be in the MVP consideration. Vikings, Bears already lost to them earlier this year, just a, a week ago. And the Jaguars, I mean, for some reason, I could see them playing Nick Foles and Nick Foles losing to his former team in the Jaguars. And then, obviously, Aaron Rodgers doesn't lose to the Packers. So, hmm. Do the Bears even win six games this year? I would assume out of the Lions, Texans, Vikings, Jaguars that they can win one of those games, but they're going to finish the season six and ten. So congrats, Nagy. Way to show that you're just a superior offensive mind. With the, mm. At least David Montgomery came back, had 11 carries, 103 yards. You know, that, I would say that was the bright spot. Allen Robinson looked good again, too. He's just one of the he's one of the better receivers in the league, definitely top ten. Just he doesn't have anyone to throw him the ball. No one to throw him the ball. Packers look great. They're in control of that division. Easily, they are going to win the NFC North. Frankly, the Bears just keep moving farther and farther out of playoff contention as the weeks keep rolling on. Let's just quickly touch on the Thanksgiving Day games, Matt Patricia, like I said, for the Lions, they got blown out by Deshaun Watson and the Texans. So Mr. Patricia and the general manager both lost their jobs and are looking for new employment as of this weekend. Lions dropped to four and seven. Texans improved to four and seven. So wasn't supposed to be a great matchup, but very winnable for the Lions, and they looked dreadful. They looked terrible. But Deshaun Watson, like I said, if if his team had been playing better and they had a winning record, he'd 100% be in the MVP race. I mean, the guy has thrown already thrown for 3,000 yards, third in the NFL, 3,200 yards to be exact. He's got 24 touchdowns. That's tied for fifth. He's only thrown five incompletions, and his QBR is 74.2, good for seventh in the league. I, he has been a beast. And, of course, the Bears could have drafted him a few years ago. Bears could have picked this guy back in 2017 and just dropped the ball. Yeah, we're going to take the North Carolina quarterback. The who? Not the guy who just won the national championship. Okay. Right. Just right. You know, I think this Texans team is better than what their record shows at only 4-7, and seven, and that's because of Watson. And for some reason, this team got rid of DeAndre Hopkins. I'll never understand what Bill O'Brien was thinking, and that's why he lost his job. That's why they've looked better without Bill O'Brien. The other game, the Washington football team against the Dallas Cowgirls. I mean, it was it was ugly. It was ugly. You know when Washington is destroying your team? That it's not good. That it is terrible. I mean, Alex Smith wasn't great for Washington. The defense just dominated Smith, though. It's great to see him back in a win comeback player of the year. I mean, the guy sh- shouldn't even have a leg with the injury that he had to deal with. Coming back from that, it's incredible to see him on the field. So I give him the utmost respect that he is back out there doing what he loves and standing in there and not being afraid. I mean, if to go through something like 
almost losing his leg from the injury he suffered a couple years ago. And for him to be out there taking hits like it's nothing, incredible. Absolutely incredible. Antonio Gibson was the highlight, though, for the Washington football team. 20 carries, 115 yards, three touchdowns. Sad part, this is the team at the top of the division in this horrible NFC least. <laughs> the Washington football team, top of the division at 4-7. and seven. Now, Eagles could regain the top of that division with a win tonight against Seattle, but I got Seattle winning tonight as they are 3-6, and six, but unbelievable how a 4-7 and seven team going into week 13 is at the top of a division. Mm. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. And with these Cowboys, I just need to mention it real quick. What happened to Ezekiel Elliott? Where did he go? 10 carries, 32 yards. I'm, what? He has been non-existent all year. I, I guess... He's eighth in rushing, 707 yards, five touchdowns. Where? I mean, I haven't seen him have a decent week ever this entire year. It's like I I have yet to really see his name pop out in the box score. Amari Cooper had a good game, I guess. Six catches, 112 yards, one touchdown. But Andy Dalton just, he looks like Andy Dalton. And this Cowboys team just has so many injuries. That offensive line isn't what it was a few years ago. It's just, this team is just terrible. And Jerry Jones needs to needs to give up something. You need to give up something as far as de- decision-making because God, a pitiful 3-8 team that's going to miss the playoffs again with just always told that this team has Super Bowl hype and Yet, they always underachieve. So, Cowboys, terrible. Frankly, I've wasted too much time talking about the NFC lease to begin with. Another bit of a shocker game was the New England Patriots against the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals look sloppy, and the Patriots got the victory. 20-17. to 17. Cam didn't even look great. Patriots improved to 5-6. and six. Arizona drops to 6-5. and five. Uh, they haven't had a win since the Hail Mary game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. Ever since the DeAndre Hopkins Hail Mary on three guys, they lost to Seattle last week, now losing to the Patriots. This coming week, they got the Rams, so it doesn't get any easier for them. Then they got the Giants, Eagles, 49ers finish at the Rams. I mean, Kyler Murray struggled a little bit. Yeah, Second-year quarterback these past two weeks just hasn't looked great. This week, 23 for 34 170 yards, one interception. It just wasn't great. Now, Cam wasn't good at all either. He was 9 of 18 through two interceptions, only had 84 yards passing, but I guess the defense carried him. Defense carried him all the way to the W, didn't give up a lot of yards. You know, Kenyon Drake, Kenyon Drake, excuse me, for the Arizona Cardinals, 22 carries, 78 yards, two touchdowns, but they re- Patriots kept them in check and managed to get the victory late. And, frankly, they had a touchdown taken away from them. And they took DeAndre Hopkins out of the game. He only had five catches, 55 yards, seven targets. They shut him down, and that's what you need to do against this Cardinals team. The Patriots. Again, another quarterback that the Bears should have gone after this offseason in Cam Newton, but the incompetence of this front office for the Bears. And... It's still Bill Belichick. I mean, his team is still going to go out there and play tough, play hard, 
do what they got to do. You got the Chargers coming up, then the Rams, and the Dolphins, Bills, Jets. So still could possibly have a winning record in that division. Very winnable games against the Dolphins and Jets. Chargers haven't been great this year. Rams, still a little iffy. The jury is still out on them as what they are as a team. Frank, if they didn't have that four-game skid, they suffered earlier this year where they had losses to the Broncos and the 49ers and the Bills and the Chiefs. Who knows where this Patriots team could be, but still third in that division, still not what we expect from them, but they're, they're playing better, and they had a big upset win against the Cardinals. Another big game that would happen that we'll touch on is the Tennessee Titans against the Indianapolis Colts. Of course, the week I picked the Colts, they just lay a goose egg, and I Always see it. Always know something like that is going to happen. So in my pick so far in the three games, I am two and one. And I should have known, known, known. Should have known, known, known. After the Colts scraped out an overtime win against the Packers the week before, should have known that was a fluke. And I should have seen the writing on the wall with the best running back in the league coming to town. Should have guessed Derrick Henry was going to run train all over the Colts, and that's just what he did. 27 carries, 178 yards, three touchdowns. Tannehill did his typical serviceable Tannehill thing. 13 for 22, 221 yards, one touchdown. Just, I should have seen it coming. I bought into this Colts defense too much, even though they didn't look that great last week against the Packers. Now looked dreadful against the Titans this week, who Titans aren't that dynamic. It's like, we're giving 25 carries to Derrick Henry. Can you stop this bulldozer? And no, they cannot do that. And, of course, why would I believe that Phillip Rivers can ever get past my expectations of him of not being very good? 24 for 42, 295 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception. He looked like his mediocre self just... I should have known that this Titans team, who improved to 8-3, and three, was going to come in and show that the Colts are not a true contender for the Super Bowl. They got a good defense, but it's a beatable defense, and it's, it's Phillip Rivers. It's Phillip Rivers. They have no run game. Their wide receivers are T.Y. Hilton finally put up a decent game. Four catches, 81 yards, one touchdown. He had a 50-yard catch. I just, it's this cold. It's Philip Rivers just will never, ever jump off the page for me and have me excited about a football team, and I should have known better. Should have known better. Uh, second to last game that I want to touch on, the Browns improved to 8-3. and three. They barely scraped by the Jaguars, 27 and to 25. Mike Glennon played quarterback for the Jaguars. He looked okay, though. I mean, 20 for 35, two touchdowns, didn't have a turnover. I mean, that's what you want from a guy like Mike Glennon when he's coming in. When he's coming in, the former Bear quarterback who, the, for some reason, the Bears paid. Just, mm. But th- this Browns team, I mean, they might be 8-3, and three, but they barely scraped by a, w- a team that has one win. Jarvis Landry went off. Eight catches, 143 yards, one touchdown, 11 targets. Mayfield actually looked pretty good. 19 for 29, 258 yards, two touchdowns. I just, 
This team has the best running backs in the game. As far as a duo of backs, the Browns have the best pair, that being Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Chubb, again, another great game. 19 carries, 144 yards, one touchdown. Kareem Hunt, 10 carries, 62 yards. I just, I don't believe in this Browns team. I mean, at 8-3 and three second in that AFC North, I'm just not buying it. Their last three wins are against the Texans that they won 10-7. to Then they beat the Eagles 22-17 to and then just beat Jacksonville 27-25. to This coming week, they're at Tennessee, then they're at Baltimore. Now, granted, they did <laughs> – no, excuse me. They didn't. They got thwapped by Baltimore to start the year. Frankly, their one big win on the schedule this year has been against the Colts, who I just went over how I feel about them and how they are very fluky as well and not a true contender. That's it. This team does not have a lot of big wins on the schedule. Their three losses to the Ravens to start the year, 38-6. to Then they got blown out by the Steelers, 38-7. to And then closer loss to the Las Vegas Raiders, 16-6. to So I don't think this team can beat good teams. I really don't. And I think, again, they are going to get exposed this week when they go up against the Tennessee Titans, and they are going to get whooped in week 13. But, hey, they're 8-3, and three, probably going to make the playoffs because um, they got two games against the Giants and Jets. So they could be a 10-win football team. They could be a 10-win football team. But they got two divisional foes. They got the Ravens finish out the year with the Steelers. And, but this coming week, they play the Titans. I think Derrick Henry is going to demolish this team and really expose that, yeah, it's a nice story. Browns have been playing well. Good for the fan base. They're moving in the right direction under the new coach. All that is good and great, but I don't think they're true Super Bowl contenders. But I'm at least going to give them some credit for being 8-3. and Because they're 8-3. and three. It needs to be known. And then the final. Well, I guess I, I, two games that I want to touch on real quick. The first one would be the nomads of the NFL NAD. The San Francisco 49ers beat the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, 23 to 20. Niners moved to five and six, even with all their injuries. Rams dropped to seven and four. I, what I want to talk about this real quick, though, is the 49ers can no longer play in their county of Santa Clara. <laughs> not not able to play there anymore. Coach Kyle Shanahan very disappointed over the suddenness of Santa Clara County sports ban. I mean, they spanned everything in this county. Everything is banned. They banned high school sports, college sports, professional sports, everything to halt. And they're going on lockdown due to COVID-19. A three-week ban on all contact sport within county lines. So the 49ers got to find a new place to play. One report I heard, Glendale, Arizona Cardinals offered for their stadium to be a possible site divisional opponent, you know, makes sense right there. Indoor, dome, they got to move all the practices. Everything, though, has to take place elsewhere. So they are no longer the San Francisco 49ers for the remainder of the year as their final three home games take place during this ban. So 49ers are going to be nomads for the rest of the year. Another report I heard possibly could be going to San Diego. 
and playing there. So I'm sure they'll figure it out, and I'm sure we'll get an update on that um, in the coming days. But just, just crazy that that's the point where we've gotten to, that these counties are shutting it down, and these professional sports teams have to find a new home as we enter week 13. We're going into week 13, people. Here on this Monday, November 30th, still got a couple games to finish out, but my goodness, just unprecedented times, unprecedented circumstances, and uh, just really shocking that this team can no longer play in their home stadium or where their families are, where these guys live, where they're comfortable. Now they got to figure out practice schedules, where they're going to practice, where they're going to play. It's just baffling times here in 2020, but a good win for the 49ers. Um, after being in the Super Bowl last year, I just injuries have just decimated this team, just decimated them. But they're still hovering around nicely, and they can finish the year solidly. You know, they got the Bills, then they got the Washington football team, Cowboys the following week, Cardinals the next week, and they finish the year with the Seahawks. So still a, a bit of a tough schedule, but they could finish the year out strong and you know, move into next year with some positives. Some positives. I assume they're going to make a change at quarterback because Garoppolo and Nick Mullins are not going to get the job done moving forward. The final game I want to get to, more just COVID update. The, the Denver Broncos played against the New Orleans Saints without a starting quarterback. That's right. First, the Saints whooped them 31-3, to but uh, yeah. And the Saints look like the Saints. I mean, Taysom Hill didn't look great. He doesn't need to look that great, though, when the Saints are going up against a team that literally played a practice squad wide receiver, Kendall Hinton. Uh, <laughs> he was undrafted. They signed him to the practice squad. I think they said he was doing a sales job before getting an invite to uh, come out to the practice squad. I mean, because <laughs> every single person that was a quarterback for the Broncos, was exposed to someone with COVID-19. None of them were wearing masks at the time, so they all were pretty much suspended from the game this Sunday. And the Broncos went out there. This guy one completed one pass, nine attempts, 13 yards through two interceptions. I mean... I'm not going to just dog him for the stats because, of course, he's not going to know the playbook. He hasn't had any first-team reps. They're asking a guy from the practice squad to come in and play quarterback. I'm, I'm going to tip my cap to that for him to be able to go out there and at least complete a pass for 13 yards. I, how crazy would you ever expect to see the day where an entire football team wouldn't have a quarterback on the depth chart? Just baffling, just baffling stuff that we are seeing. Broncos dropped a four and said, I mean, their quarterbacks aren't great either. I'm not going to try and act like Drew Locke or Blake Bortles would have made the difference for this team, but they tried to get, they literally tried to get a quarterback coach. They asked the NFL for approval to start and a coach. They were trying to get a coach to be able to step in out there. I heard John Elway almost came out of retirement to lace him up. No, that <laughs> I'm just kidding, but could you imagine? I mean, Jeff Driscoll, you, they, none of those guys are getting the job done for this Broncos team. They've looked terrible. The defense isn't anything special. It's just, 
and his team looked bad. It's just absolutely baffling that a quarterback would not be available for a football game. Of all three, you got backups, and all of them were exposed to COVID-19 and could not play. Wow. Just a baffling story. Moving on. Topic number two. What I want to talk about is um, with the NFL, some teams are struggling. We've already seen one coach lose his job, Matt Patricia of the Detroit Lions after the beatdown on Thanksgiving, you know, of day of giving thanks, loses his job. So he doesn't have a lot to be thankful for for this Detroit football team. But I want to talk about three other coaches that are on the hot seat, and that seat is getting hotter as the losses stack up. First guy, Matt Nagy, the coach of my Chicago Bears. I'm... Look, they're on a five-game losing streak. Just talked about this. That They're getting worse and worse as the year goes on. And the quarterback situation is getting uglier and uglier. Neither Nick Foles or Mitchell Trubisky are the answer. And Nagy traded for Nick Foles. He wanted Nick Foles. The Bears went out and got Nick Foles to be like, oh, this is our guy, a Super Bowl winner. This is it. This is where we can turn the offensive round. And then they start the year at quarterback with Mitchell Trubisky. So they traded for this guy and then still continue to start the guy who's been on the roster since 2017. And again, Trubisky did not look great this past week. Yeah, the Bears put up some garbage fourth quarter points. Trubisky added to the stat sheet a little bit, so those three touchdowns really aren't all that special. Uh, Five-game losing streak. Nagy just, he just has no control of this offense. I'm told every year of what an offensive genius quarterback whisperer that Matt Nagy is, and yet I'm let down every year as a Bears fan. Every year I'm let down. They had that one Really strong year with him a couple years ago where they went 12-4 and four but lost in the wild card matchup against the Eagles. Then the following year, 8-8. Eight and eight. Now this year, 5-6. and six. So the regression is clear. It, under his tenure, yep, they started the year, they started his tenure nights in 2018 where they went 12-4. and four. Now 2019, 8-8. Eight eight. Then 2025-6. It's only getting worse only getting worse as Nagy has control. He's had three years. It was the same amount of time as Fox had. Now, and more time than Tressman. I mean, Tressman had two years and was let go after a 5-11 and 11 year. This is that's where it's looking to go for the Bears. It's looking like a 5-6, five 5-11, and six, five and 11, five, excuse me, 5-11 and 11 year, 6-10 and 10 year, just... He hasn't looked good. I mean, I'm every year I'm just told that he's just this magical quarterback offensive genius uh, under the Andy Reid coaching tree, and I'm just like, are we like talking about the same coach? Are, are, do we watch the same games? Are are we seeing the same schemes and game plans? It's just, it's ugly. It's really ugly right now in Chicago sports and Nagy. Uh, and I'm convinced if you're looking at the Bears' schedule, if you honestly look at the Bears, they're lucky to have five wins. 
Again, week one is swift for the Lions. Catches that touchdown pass, start the year 0-1-1. Okay, then they had the Giants. Very sloppy football game. You got to think, if Saquon Barkley stays healthy, do the Bears even hold on to win 17-13? Okay, then the next week, Falcons, major collapse. Bench Trubisky, Nick Foles steps in, throws three touchdowns. Barely won 30-26. Okay. <laughs> do they hold on to win that one if the Falcons don't do typical Atlanta collapses? Next week, lose to the Colts in a defensive game, 19-11. to Yep, they're going to lose to a playoff team. And the next week, the Bucks. Frankly, they shouldn't have won that game. Short week, Bucks committed 11 tur- penalties. It just was a sloppy game. They barely won. And then the Panthers. Like, that's the one at least legit win where I can be like, yeah, definitively they were going to win that game. They won 23-16. Since then, lost to the Rams 24-10. Lost to the Saints 26-23. Lost to the Titans 24 to 17. Lost to the Vikings 19 to 13. Then just got embarrassed on Sunday night football by the Packers 41 to 25. It's only getting worse. It's only getting worse as the year goes on. I'm telling you, if they lose to the Lions, Texans, Vikings, Jaguars, if they lose three of four, maybe even two and two, I will be surprised if Nagy finishes the years as the Bears head coach, because it's not looking good. Not looking good at all. The second guy, probably the guy who's actually on the hottest seat of everyone, Adam Gase. How, how does this man still have a job? How, how is he still employed in the NFL? Can someone actually explain this to me? Overall, for, for, uh, on the year, they're 0-11. There's no way he manages to keep his job another year as the Jets head coach, even if they get the number one prick and bring in Trevor Lawrence. There's no chance he's going to be part of the management that signs Trevor Lawrence and brings him in. No chance. Oh, and 11. They're by far the worst team in the league. And where has Gates ever been promising? He has had one winning season in his entire tenure as a head coach, one winning season. His first year with the Miami Dolphins back in 2016, they went 10 and 6. The following year, 6 and 10. The next year, 7 and 9. Dolphins let him go. Okay, now with the Jets. Okay, another 7 and 9 year in 2019. Now this year, 0 and 11. 0 and 11. He's been the offensive coordinator for the Bears, who have never had a good offense. That's how he even got the Miami job. And his decision, uh, I just, (laughs) he was an offensive coordinator in Denver as well. I I don't understand. I don't understand how some of these guys can have jobs. When has he shown you that he can be successful? When? When have you seen success from Adam Gates? You just haven't. It's it's been non-existent. One good year, a 10-6 year, I guess the Denver years. That's how he has a job, because he got to coach Peyton Manning, one of the greatest offensive minds ever. That's how he has a job. It's the only thing that makes sense of why he has a job. He was the offensive coordinator for them when they got thwapped in 2013 in the Super Bowl to the Seahawks. Okay, 
cool. He was the offensive coordinator. So it sounds more like Peyton Manning carried that team. And then the next year, divisional loss against the Colts in 2014. Then he got the Bears offensive coordinator job back in 2015. How did the Bears do in 2015? Oh, they went 6-10 and 10 under John Fox. All right. Hmm. Okay, let's give Adam Gates another. Let's give him a head coaching job. I just, <laughs> I really don't understand what some of these front offices and people think. Like, you're, he's not good. He's not a good coach. In no way, no how have he's ever been a good coach. I'm sure he's a smart football mind. I'm sure he is. But golly, he is not a head coach. He should be a coordinator. He should be a coordinator. Let's just call it a whiff. Let's just call it a whiff on thinking Adam Gates is a good coach. And the third coach, got to be Doug Marone. I mean, the Jaguars are 1-10, just another dreadful embarrassment of a team. And I think they're starting to clear house. They just let go of Jim Caldwell over the weekend after the loss to the Browns. I mean, after making it to the AFC Championship game back in 2017, this team has took a nosedive. And remember, they're the same team that decided to extend Blake Bortles. Um, <laughs> why you would extend Blake Bortles is beyond me. I d they had one upset win early against the Colts in week one and have lost 10 straight. <laughs> 10 straight losses. Oh, my God, it is ugly. It is ugly there in Jacksonville. Right there. Frankly, if, if you're letting go of the GM, the coach, it's only a matter of time, and there's no way he's going to win football games with that roster, with the quarterbacks that they have, with the skill position that they have, the, the defensive players that they have. There, no shot in hell that Doug Marone keeps his job. Of all three guys that I mentioned between Nagy, Marone, and Gase, I would be shocked if any of them have a job going into next season. That's how poor all of these guys have performed thus far. Moving on, topic number three. So the NBA offseason has been a little quiet the past few days. So how I want to do this is we are going to break it down. You know, there are still divisions in the NBA. That's right. You never hear about the divisions because they really don't matter all that much. But they do matter when it comes to certain things. Matchups, how many times you play teams each year, things like that based on location. So we're going to give a breakdown division by division on how the teams are looking after the big days of free agency. Yeah, there will be a few small signings here and there eventually some trades will happen, but I don't think that'll happen until the season starts and we really see how these rosters go because um, they're reporting to training camp in just a couple short days. So, yeah, let's go division by division. Let's start with the Pacific Division in the Western Conference. First team we'll start with the Los Angeles Lakers. The defending champs with LeBron James have made moves. They have been extremely active. Let's start with who they brought in in free agency. Brought in Montrez Harrell from the rival Los Angeles Clippers. Sixth man of the year. Big pickup. He will fit 
nicely coming off the bench with Anthony Davis, playing alongside LeBron James. I think with him playing with playmakers like those two, he, he is only going to get better. And he just came off a year where he won sixth man of the year. Rut row. Rut row. And he left the Clippers. He, he made it sound like the Clippers didn't want him back. And I think the Clippers were trying to make a little bit of an overhaul this year. And we'll get to them shortly. But Montrez Harold coming in to the Lakers. Another nice signing that they had. Wesley Matthews. He played for the Milwaukee Bucks last year. Nice 3 and D player. Again, just guys who fit very nice alongside playing with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and are only going to benefit from playing from them. I mean, LeBron loves to dish the ball to his three-point sharp shooters. That's what Wesley Matthews does. He knocks down wide-open shots and defends guys on the wing. It's who he is. It's what he's been his entire career so, nice little pickup there by the Lakers. Another guy, Marcus Gasol, champion Marcus Gasol with the Toronto Raptors after winning the championship with the Raptors, playing with them last year as well, the f- and being part of that grit and grind. Former brother Pau Gasol played for the Lakers. Kind of a cool story that he is now going to be a Los Angeles Laker as well. He was almost going to play for them, but then was part of that Kwame Brown trade for Pau Gasol. Interestingly enough, to bring in Powell to the Lakers all those years ago, back in, what, 2007, 2008? It's been a long time Marcus Gasol has been in the league. So good pickup by the Lakers, adding to that center depth. And then they re-signed Markeith Morris on a one-year $2.3 million deal, and he gives you way more value than his brother. I mean, they're paying Marcus Morris, that being the Clippers, four years, $64 million. We'll get to the Clippers again shortly, but good signing to bring back Markeith Morris. He had one little blunder, game five of the NBA Finals, where he had a, uh, a turnover, just didn't make a smart play. But again, I like him as a forward, you know, a good key bench guy, seventh, eighth, ninth man in rotation. He's a good second unit guy and can play with the starters, so I like him. He can knock down the open shot, can run the floor well. Again, just other guys who will, another guy who benefits playing with the best player in the world in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They traded for Dennis Schroeder from Oklahoma City, who was the runner-up for six-man of the year. So they added the guy who finished first and second in six-man of the year, only going to add to their depth. Schroeder being the backup point guard. Maybe they start Schroeder. Maybe they move LeBron off the point guard spot, give those duties to Schroeder, and they let this team run wild out there with the speed that he has and let them run in the front court with LeBron James. Oh, that's oh, oh you want to talk about problems. Oh, that's a problem right there if you're going to let him do that. A couple guys that they also traded for, Jordan Bell and Alonzo McKee from the Cleveland Cavaliers. To, uh, they traded away JaVale McGee as part of that deal. And here are the guys that they lost. They, they did lose a number of guys, to be said. This team had a drastic turnover of what they had. They traded Danny Green for Dennis Schroeder. They got rid of JaVale McGee to make room, cap space-wise, for Marc Gasol. Free agents that they lost. Rajon Rondo. Went to the Atlanta Hawks. We know what playoff Rondo brought to this team. 
he will be missed for sure. Avery Bradley, he went to the Miami Heat. I don't think he'll be that big a loss. They won a championship without him. He didn't even show up in the bubble. He was a nice piece, but the Lakers, they can do without him. He's a good defensive player, but I think they got better by losing out on him. And it's not, they won a championship without him, so he wasn't that integral to this team's success. And then also lost Dwight Howard. He went to the 76ers, um, lost Jared Dudley, J.R. Smith, Dion Waiters, but they brought back uh, Giannis's brother, Costas, and Tedekumpo, and they waived Quinn Cook. So the Lakers, uh, for a championship team, they did not stay pat. Yes, they lost a lot of guys. They brought in a lot of guys, too. So I still like where this Lakers team is at. They still have Kuzma. They still have Caruso. So the, the championship core is still intact. Still got to sign Anthony Davis. He has yet to sign with them. I think he's kind of waiting it out, see whether he's going to sign a short-term max contract or a long-term max contract. We'll see if he signs that five-year or if he's just going to go one and one, possibly opening up cap space for next year, maybe takes a little bit of a discount. We'll see what Anthony Davis does. I think it'll be only a matter of time before he returns. But uh, interesting nonetheless that the Lakers did not sit by idly as I think they got better. They improved overall as a team. So we'll see how it goes. The defending champs. Let's go for number five, LeBron. Let's go for number five. Other team in that division. A lot of very interesting teams in the division, frankly. Let's get to the other team in Los Angeles. That would be the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, drafted a couple no-names. Uh, um, I don't even know who these guys are, so kind of, frankly, irrelevant. They traded for Luke Kennard. They signed Serge Ibaka away from the Toronto Raptors, bringing in a uh, fun guy, Kawhi Leonard's boy, like Serge Ibaka for them. They had to replace Montrez Harrell somehow in the front court. I like Ibaka's defense and offensive skill set more than Harrell's, but I think Harrell will benefit more from playing with a playmaker in LeBron James, so I think Harrell will add a little more value to his team than Ibaka will to his particular team because there are still no playmakers on the Clippers. I mean, of all the teams that should have made moves in some way for a, a point guard who distributes the ball, they didn't do it. They did not do it. And now uh, um, Nicholas Batoon was part of a sign-and-trade for Gordon Hayward with the Charlotte Hornets. And uh, Boston, he was sent on waivers. Once he clears waivers, he's supposedly signing with the Clippers. So really, kind of the moves that they made were Abaca, Kennard, and Batoon. And we haven't seen Batoon really have any significant playing time in a number of years with the Hornets. And the Hornets have never been relevant crunch time. So kind of a good decision. He's a nice wing player to play behind Paul George and Kawhi Leonard can still defend, still knock down a shot, but they didn't trade for what they needed. They needed a point guard. They needed a playmaker. Frankly, they needed Rondo. If we're going to be honest, they needed Rondo, but the Hawks dished out more money so I can respect Rondo going to the Hawks. Get paid, son. Get paid. Who they lost? They lost Andrew Sh Landry Shamit, traded him to the Nets. Uh, Rodney McGruder traded him to the Pistons. Again, they lost Harold. They lost Jermichael Green. They lost Reggie Jackson. They're just... <laughs> 
I don't understand. The, the, team, the Clippers did not get better. After a disappointing year, they did not get better. And I don't think the coaching is going to make a difference. They let go of Doc Rivers, bring in Tyron Lue. I, I, I would not be shocked if more disappointment fell on the Clippers this coming season. Where, where did they get better? What point guard did they bring in? Oh, they, they traded for Luke Kennard? Brought in Ibaka? I like Ibaka. I'm a really big fan of Ibaka. I would have liked him on the Lakers. I, frankly, I would have liked him on any team. I like him on the Clippers, but his team doesn't need front court depth. I mean, at this point, they do now that Harold's out, but this team needed a playmaker. They didn't get it. Kawhi Leonard's not going to turn into a playmaker. Paul George ain't turning into a playmaker. Tyron Lue isn't going to turn some point guard. He's not turning Patrick Beverly into a playmaker. That's not who any of these guys are. So I am looking forward for another letdown, disappointing year for the ninth most important team when it comes to basketball in the Los Angeles area. So... Good to see. Good to see that the Clippers still don't know what the hell they're doing. Third team in that division that I'll get to, the Golden State Warriors. Definitely hurts losing Clay Thompson, tore his Achilles, had a successful surgery. He will not be there the entire year. It's a damn shame. Damn shame to see him go down. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm not that big a fan of Golden State, but they are the most dynamic, entertaining backcourt. That being Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, when they are fully healthy and playing together, the two just automatic sharpshooters. Damn shame. Damn shame to see Clay Thompson go down. But his team, they didn't sit by. They knew they were going to have to come back this year after having, what, the third worst record in the NBA, had the second overall prick. They knew they had to get better. So they added James Wiseman, a necessity. They needed a big man. They needed a seven-footer on the interior. Smart decision. I think Wiseman fits perfectly with what Golden State does as a team overall. Uh, Him in the pick and roll with Steph Curry, going to be nice, going to be very tasty. And then they traded for Kelly Oubre. So once Klay Thompson for sure went down with injury, they did not sit by. They found his replacement really quick. They added Brad Wanamaker, who played for the Boston Celtics last year, and also brought back Kent Bazemore, who hopped around the little the league a little bit. He was in what was he? He was in Atlanta for a little bit. Then he was with the Trailblazers. Then traded to the Kings last year. Now coming back to Golden State, where his career began. So uh, they made the right decisions. They had to replace Clay Thompson. Um, They still have Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins is expected to be there at this point moving forward. Kelly Oubre, James Wiseman. That's a nice starting five. I like where that starting five is for this team. They didn't lose anyone important. Dragon Bender, he hasn't been anything. And uh, they waived Kai Bauman. So, This Golden State team, we will see. They're not going to be as good as I thought they were coming into this year now that Thompson is down, but I think they will be a very tough out in the Western Conference and definitely will be competing for a playoff spot. And they'll be right in the middle of the pack. I think they'll be right around that 6, 5, 4 
um, seeding when it comes to the playoffs because Steph Curry is still the unanimous, only unanimous MVP ever. Uh, Draymond Green, uh, if he's still a defensive player of the year candidate, we will see. I expect him to play with a chip on his shoulder this year. Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Oubre fit very nicely with what Steve Kerr's offense does with ball movement and slashing and moving without the ball. So I like where Golden State is at. They're not going to be as good as I thought, but I like this team overall. They're going to be fun to watch, and I look forward to paying attention to them. Fourth team in that division that we got to talk about, obviously, the Phoenix Suns. They traded for Chris Paul. Definitely the biggest trade of the offseason thus far. They improve overall just by adding Chris Paul. Overachieved with the Thunder this past season. Was in the Western Conference Finals a few years ago with the Rockets. I mean, Chris Paul is just a winner everywhere he goes. I've never been that big a fan of his, but he is a winner. Um, definitely the point guard out there. Um, definitely a top 10 point guard of all time. You could even argue top five if you want. That is what it is. But they get better by bringing in Chris Paul to play alongside Devin Booker. He's only going to get better. I think DeAndre Ayton with the pick and roll with Chris Paul is going to get even better. I just see this team moving in the right direction. They also brought in Jay Crowder. Nice little signing there. He's been a part of some decent teams, was part of that Miami Heat run to get them all the way to the finals. He played a key piece as a, the starting small forward. He can play good defense, knock the outside shot. Good 3 and D player. Also added Etuan Moore and re-signed Dario Saric. And in the draft, uh, Jalen Smith at 10th overall. So I think this team improved um, just by adding Chris Paul alone. You could, whatever. The, I don't even care that they, how many guys they've lost. Yeah, oh, they lost Ricky Rubio. Wah. Oh, no, he'll be missed. Okay, then Kelly Oubre. Yeah, he was part of the deal. Now he's with Golden State like we just talked about. Also lost Aaron Baines. He went to the Toronto Raptors. Uh, Frank Kaminsky, he's out. Diablo, he's out. I mean, if you can add Chris Paul, you improve. I still think there's a lot of teams in the Western Conference that will be better than the Suns, but I for sure think the Suns will be fighting for a playoff spot, possibly with how they overachieved this year, getting the fifth seed. You never know. Maybe they could get right back to that fifth seed with Phoenix. Phoenix made the right choice bringing in Chris Paul, bringing on his huge contract, like the decision. I like where they're moving. They're moving in the right direction, and that's what you need to do at this point in the NBA. You got to stay competitive. And when you got a young guy like Devin Booker who could possibly move on in a couple years, you got to do everything you can to show that you're trying to keep him around. And they did that by bringing in Chris Paul. The organization shows that they want to win now, that they want to improve now. They want to make this team better, get Devin Booker to the playoffs for the first time in his career. So smart decision by the Suns. Suns got better and this might be the best division in basketball. We don't talk about divisions in basketball too much, but as far as the Lakers, Clippers, Golden State, Suns are concerned, those are four playoff contending teams right there. How many divisions have four playoff contenders in them? Not many. Not many. I guess we'll find out as I keep breaking them down. But in the final team, really the most forgettable team in this division, the Sacramento Kings, really didn't do much. Had a couple draft picks. Uh, they got Tyrese Halliburton out of Iowa State. 
Other than that, Robert Woodard, Ramsey with the 43rd overall pick, brought in Hassan Whiteside on a one-year contract. Guys they lost out on. Harry Giles, he's with the Portland Trailblazers. Ken Bazemore with the Golden State Warriors. Um, Bogdanovich, he's headed to Atlanta. Corey Brewer's gone. Yogi Ferrell. Kyle Guy. Alex Landy, he went to the Toronto Raptors. Um, I mean, they're the Kings. They re-signed De'Aaron Fox to a huge extension. Very deserve of, deserving of that. They need some talent there. Um, just don't really know what this team is. They're, they're really not much. They're going to be back in the lottery next year because um, it's the De'Aaron Fox show. I, he's got Harrison Barnes. I just King's team is just kind of irrelevant, but I'll still watch them, still pay attention because I like watching De'Aaron Fox play. So, But this is by far the worst team in this division, and I think the Pacific is a really good division. It's a really good division, but Kings have no shot of any relevancy in this division, barring just the miraculous improvement by the players on this roster. And I don't believe in Luke Walton too much as a head coach either. I don't know if he'll keep his job much longer. It, it wasn't going well last year. I don't expect it to go well this year. And that management never sits by idly. Never. The ownership always is making moves. Vladdy Divac just doesn't make the necess necessary moves to improve this team. I don't know how much longer he'll be employed there. It's just, it's the Kings. We <laughs> this team hasn't been relevant since they were in the Western Conference Finals all the way back in 2001. And I don't know if times are going to be changing anytime soon. Yeah, they brought in DeMarcus Cousins all those years ago, but he's no longer there. This It's the Kings. Well, we know it. Everyone knows it. One of the worst organizations in the NBA. So that's the breakdown of the Pacific Division in the NBA. We'll break down another division on the next episode, so stay tuned. Topic number four, boxing. This weekend, Mike Tyson returned to the ring. <laughs> Iron Mike Tyson. That's right. It, I was entertained. I was entertained. Uh, he fought Roy Jones Jr. Both are over 50 years old. Mike Tyson's 54. What is Roy Jones Jr.? Like? 52 years old. They look like old men out there. It was a draw. It shouldn't have been a draw. Mike Tyson looked like he was in better shape. He landed more punches, more um, superior punches at that. And again, I don't know anything about scoring and boxing. But just watching it, just from my eye and being like, who won this fight? I clearly thought it was Mike Tyson. I didn't think it was really all that close either. I, but then it, I don't know anything on how they score boxing. Just from my eye and having no boxing experience and just watching it as a spectator and a fan of the sport, I just saw no way how Roy Jones Jr. won this exhibition. But it was cool, though. It, it, it was a cool little experience to see Iron Mike back in the ring. Hasn't fought in 15 years. Roy Jones Jr. has only been out of the sport for three years. Both, I mean, it's Iron Mike Tyson. He's the youngest heavyweight champion in boxing history. He was 20 years old when he was the heavyweight champion of the world. Couldn't even legally drink. And this man was the baddest man on the planet. They say getting hit by Mike Tyson back in his heyday was like getting hit by a baseball bat. I, he was violent. You should 
definitely, definitely, if you want to entertain yourself for some time, just look up Mike Tyson boxing highlights on YouTube. Just type it in. It is scary what that man would do to people. And only 5'10", like the way he, how hard he punched just to see these guys drop like, <laughs> like a stone. Like he would drop guys. It was dangerous what Iron Mike would do to guys in the ring. He is incredible. Big fan of his. So it was cool to see him and Roy Jones Jr. I mean, he was the king of the 90s when it came to boxing. I'm not going to discredit Roy Jones Jr. He He's a legend of the game. Both of these guys are legend of their respective sport in boxing. But I'm more of a fan of Mike Tyson. It was cool to see him back in the ring. I thought he should have won. But again, I don't know anything about boxing scoring. Uh, there were a couple fights. There was another fight. You know, Nate Robinson, former NBA player, went up against Jake Paul and got knocked the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> he dropped like a stone, too. Oh, my God. It, it was brutal. It was brutal. And it just shows. You know, you could be an athlete, an all-purpose athlete at one sport. It just shows how different it is going into another arena and trying to compete. Because Nate Robinson did not look ready at all. And, it, yeah. Jake Paul is a YouTube star. I don't know anything about him or anything like that. I just know he's cocky, arrogant, but, hey, knows how to market himself. He's saying, I'm the new Mayweather, all this, all that. I mean, he's going to get another fight. He's going to fight guys again. He's just adding a little juice to a sport that needs it. And, like, this is how boxing, I guess, is getting views now. You know, you just get these random fights going of 50-year-old legends and YouTube stars who talk a lot of smack and compete against a guy from who has no boxing experience and was a basketball player. And it's just, it's an, it was very funny. And it's funny how Mike Tyson even said boxing was dying, but YouTubers like Jake Paul are keeping it alive. I mean, Mike Tyson sees it. When was the last time you've actually cared about a fight? It was the Manny Pacquiao-Floyd Mayweather fight a few years ago, and that was a snoozer. It was a snooze fight. I mean, Floyd was on the defense, and Pacquiao was hurt. It wasn't a very exciting fight. Since then, I guess the gimmicky fight of Floyd Mayweather against Conor McGregor, I just... I do like uh, Tyson Fury, uh, Deontay Wilder. Those have been entertaining fights, but really, like, boxing just... It's not what it was a few years ago, and it's kind of sad. I, I like boxing. It's just another sport I get a lot of enjoyment out of watching. I don't know how any of it works or breaking it down. I just know I do not want to get punched in the face as hard as those guys are getting punched in the face, so I'll always tip my cap to that. But it was a cool weekend for boxing, and just the event was cool altogether. They had Wiz Khalifa performing, YG performing. <laughs> Snoop Dogg was <laughs> Snoop Dogg performed. He's an awesome commentator. Two, he was high out of his mind, high as a satellite. He was smoking weed while he was performing before the Mike Tyson boxing match. It just, it was a cool little event that they did, and it was fun to watch. And it just added, it was just a nice little enjoyment thing that we needed in 2020 because there hasn't been a lot of bright spots. This is one of the bright spots. Some just random exhibition enjoyment boxing for us to drink and sit back, relax, and enjoy. So it, it was cool. 
cool little thing that happened this weekend that needed to be talked about because Iron Mike returned to the ring. Topic number five. History was made this past weekend as well. History was made, people. A girl, Sarah Fuller, made history at Vanderbilt. She's the first woman to play in a Power 5 football game on Saturday when she delivered the opening kickoff of the second half for Vanderbilt against Missouri. Uh, Fuller, she's a senior goalkeeper on Vanderbilt's SEC champion soccer team. Um, she had a little squib kick, exactly what the coaches drew up. And just an incredible moment that a girl played Power 5 football. Uh, how cool is that? I'm, history being made just shows you, you know, that, of course, <laughs> it is very cool to see her playing football. And I'm, like she said, honestly, it's just so exciting. The fact that I can represent all girls out there that have wanted to do this or thought about playing football or any sport, really, and it encourages them to be able to step out and do something big like this. It's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. It's really cool to see a girl playing football. Now, granted, you know, they did a squib kick because they didn't want to take any chances of her getting absolutely demolished out there. Because, you know, there's some asshole guy who is like, okay, if we get her in the open field, I'm going to wreck her. Of course, that's how some dick is going to think out there on the football field. But it's very cool to see her out there. And uh, Fuller said that she was calm as she took the field in Missouri, adding that playing in the SEC championship game was more stressful. Yeah, of course. Like, she's a big-time soccer player. Like, she's handled more stress and worry and pressure in sports than kicking a, um, a kickoff at a football game when it really doesn't matter. But it's cool to see that a girl played big-time college football. I ha when have you ever seen it before? You haven't. Yeah, there have been a few girls that are playing high school football, but to play Power 5 SEC football, to actually come in and be put into the game, very cool and a very nice story. And I think it's awesome. You know, it just shows whatever you want to do, go do it. Uh, it. Don't let anything hold you back as far as, you know, sex, race, religion, Whatever it might be why you think you can't do something, you can do it. Go out there and do it. Whatever you put your mind to, you can do. And that's the little motivation you need here on this Monday, November 30th of 2020. So, awesome. Awesome, Sarah Fuller. You made history. And I love seeing history be made in a year that, well... Mark it down in the history books as 2020 because it has been one hell of a year. And now for my own popular opinion, going to make this real short and quick. Uh, again, it's another non-sports unpopular opinion, and that would be ketchup sucks. That's right, the condiment ketchup. It's terrible. Ketchup sucks. It's not good. Here's why it's not good. It stinks. I hate the smell of ketchup. It doesn't smell good. It doesn't taste all that great either. I, people are just putting it on everything. You disgusting behemoths 
who are putting ketchup on steak, you need to be sent to prison. I want to report you to the FBI so you can be put in their database and they arrest you on the spot if you're going to put ketchup on a steak. It is disgusting. I it just over ketchup overtakes any taste of what you are eating. I will say there is one thing that goes well with ketchup and that would be french fries. Everything else get ketchup the hell away from. Please keep it far from everything. If you put ketchup on a hot dog, you're a disgusting Cretan, and you should be sent to prison. <laughs> you need to be jailed. Oh, it's just terrible. Ketchup just stinks. The taste overpowers everything. It is a very overrated condiment. Probably the most overrated condiment right in front of ranch. Both of those can just be thrown away. I will say, though, cold ketchup is better than warm ketchup. You better be putting your ketchup in the fridge. But, ugh, just... The taste is too overpowering. The smell stinks. It's really not that good to begin with. And you shouldn't be putting it on everything, especially you people putting it on steak. Ugh, if I see one more person do it, I'm going to vomit on their food and be like, well, you're eating that ketchup with it, too. I'm sure you'd enjoy it. Ugh, disgusting. You ketchup people just make me sick. Make me sick. And that's the end of episode 41 of the Hang Time with Helgi podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay tuned. More episodes to come. Check me out on social media. Feel free to interact with me. And as always, during this coronavirus pandemic that is still in full force, wash your damn hands. All right. I'm out. Peace.